will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome, dear listeners, to another episode of Leverage Addicts. Today, we have a remarkable guest who's not only achieved incredible success in the world of property investment, but has also managed to balance his full-time career as a teacher and a happy family of four. (laughs) (laughs) And I just want to say today, if you guys can hear it in my voice, it's not the best Hopefully, you know, Tom's going to do most of the talking and he's joining us today. He's a seasoned investor with a portfolio exceeding 12 million, even in the down market. And he's been on an exciting journey for close to two decades. What sets Tom apart is not just his impressive achievements, but his unending quest to learn, evolve and apply new strategies to his investments. And I've had the privilege to watch Tom grow as well, even though he's already done so much. So thank you so much for joining us today and share your insights and experience, Tom. Oh, hey, Blendon, thank you so much, man. You're making me blush, man. Like I never, ever had such an intro to to anything. So that was the first for me. What what a treat. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah, and Tom's kindly jumped on the podcast, but you know, he likes to keep a low key. So decided we're going with the meme pick today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I mean, it's, it's hard for people to believe I, I'm a high school teacher, but I think by nature, I'm an introvert. So I, I tend not to sort of go out there and sort of showing my stuff. I don't find it natural to do that. So, so yeah, I appreciate you keep it and also with you task doing this, I actually learned a whole lot because it really allows me time to reflect a bit yeah. on my journey and, and hopefully it's going to bring some value to, to other people as well. Yeah, I totally understand where you're coming from because sometimes it is very much awkward to talk about your success or like, you know, what you've achieved. However, in saying that, sometimes we have to be brave if we believe in the message that we're trying to pass along. And I think I truly believe in the message that we're trying to pass along because, you know, of my own experience with my family, I Mm. think your story could potentially inspire hundreds or maybe even thousands of people out there. So that's why I think it's really good. And I'm just glad that you came along. So Tom, you started property investment, this journey with Mm -hmm. just a hundred odd K property in Palmerston North. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. When you asked me to do this podcast, I really have to dig in deep and look into my history. And and I can't believe it. Like, uh, According to my record, my first investment property was bought in, in March 2005. So that's wow. 18 years ago. And back then I was in Palmerston North, you know, in Palmy, yeah. good old Palmy. And the house, the I think the median house price back then was like 150000 or something, 120000 I can't remember. But that goes to show you. And so I've been living in Auckland for about 14 years now. So I guess for any new investors or for anyone who is starting, the key is not about where to start. It's about when you want to get started. Because if I can do it in Palmy 18 years ago, you, you can do it anywhere, really. You yeah. just, uh, just got to make sure that you take the courage and buy your first investment, you know, property. Yeah. That's really awesome. Cause I guess even in our group of investors that we sort of talk to in the leverage addict or the property formula workshop, you know, often you can still get deals in that 
two, three hundred k range, and yes. sometimes as long as you start, that's probably the most important thing. And I thought maybe you can share a little bit about the thought process that led you to the first investment and the key lessons you might have learned through that initial experience. Yeah, so my first investment probably came after I I purchased my owner occupied house. So I got a job as a teacher about twenty years ago. So my parents are pretty traditional kind of Asian parents. You know, once you get a full time job, the next thing is you know you buy your car, you get your house, you get your wife, and that kind of stuff. Following that kind of sequence. Wait, you so bought I a car first? <laughs> oh, no, actually I got a car first. Yeah, I got a car yeah, first, yeah. and then get a house. And and so the next thing, once I got a steady job as a teacher, my parents started encouraging me to go and get a house. And at the time, there's no such thing as like wealth mentor or Ron Hoi Fong or you know property apprentice that kind of stuff. At the time, there's only books written by Andrew King and Jane Somers and Brad Sugars and and Dorothy Ruth. So I kind of read their books. According to the book, it says that if you want to buy a house, you gotta look at 100 houses, make 10 offers, and one of them will be accepted. Yeah. So that's actually what I did for my own occupied. I I was stupid enough or naive enough to actually look at pretty much I think over 100 houses. I still wow. remember. Uh, that my record for uh, visiting um, open homes in one single day I was on a Saturday I visited 13 open homes in one day and wow. that was a record so that kind of goes to show you that how naive and how ambitious I was when I got started anyway long story short I went to all these different open homes and then I come across this house in the corner it's got a little um, private sale sign for sale right it looks so unassuming and we thought oh that looks a bit dodgy but you know what it's just, you know we've been looking at so many houses you might as well yeah. go ahead so we're going to have a look and, you know, the owner came out because, you know, it's for sale privately and the owner, you know, told us the price. And I was taken back because now I've looked at so many houses. I thought, that sounds so cheap. Like, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I was scared. And what's I wrong with it? Yeah, you kind of think, yeah, what's wrong with it? Like, how come other people are asking this much? Like, when I go to... You know, open homes professionals agents they they're asking this much but but this 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 vendor is asking me twenty thirty thousand dollar less and back yeah. then twenty thousand thirty thousand dollars is a lot right yeah. It's like 30%, you know. So. Exactly. And I didn't know who to ask. The only advice I got was a lawyer, you know. And I told my lawyer, I said, hey, look, the seller wants, wants, is asking for 150 Do you think I should offer like 160 or 170 so I can get it? <laughs> <laughs> You're laughing, right? But that's true. That's what I said to my lawyer. And my lawyer said, you know what? Just offer whatever the, the vendor is asking you for now. And so I offered 150 because that was what the vendor is asking, right? And then the vendor hesitated. And so, you know what? I'll take it if, if it's 155 And then I lost which I house for 155 and so i kind of bought it and i live in it and i park it for a year and little did i know little did i know that a year later when i look at the gv which is the yeah. cv the government valuation it came back fifty thousand dollar more wrong yeah so, and back then when i when when i was a beginning teacher i also make fifty thousand dollars yes so you, you can imagine that on one hand you can make fifty thousand by making one right decision on the other hand you have to work your ass off you know being a first year teacher i literally work 12 hours a day just just to you know know my stuff for like 365 days you know like and you're kind of weighing your options right and there's no brainer right just one smart decision that you make and then you can make as much money as you you do in your full-time job and that got me so excited yeah so after no, it that, sounds like a lot though, fifty thousand back in two thousand five. Because I'm just thinking, yes, and you know, I think even I was a lucky, graduate job, you're not yes. too far off from fifty thousand at the moment. Yes, exactly, and I think I was lucky because I was at the 
just at the at the beginning of a boom in Palmerston North, which I didn't know. So it was just a lot of luck involved, you know. So after after I got a taste of it, you know, I started buying one, two, and three, and yeah. And then the funny story was my parents, because it kind of leads on to probably a question you're going to ask me later, is that my parents at the beginning was really encouraging encouraging me to buy houses. You know, oh, you know, you say you shouldn't be renting, paying dead rent, and you yeah. know, you should be buying your house and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of thinking, oh, stop nagging at me, man. Come on, you know, like, I just want to have fun and spend my money and travel and all kind of stuff. <laughs> and so after I bought like about three, my parents starting to panic, right? They go, hey, are you, are you nuts? Like, why are you owing the bank so much money? And that kind of stuff. So it's like their mindset completely changed. So something I learned along the line, which is one of my golden rule from the start, is that I try to take advice from people who have done it. Mm. So whoever is kindly enough to offer me advice, the first thing I would check is, have they done it themselves? Mm. Because if they haven't done it themselves, then I'll be more cautious about what, you know, who I'm listening from. So first and foremost is I always find out, okay, if you want to do this, I'll go and talk to someone who has been there and done that. So do you apply the same principle for your teaching? Are you making sure that, you know, you have done all the homework before you give the homework? Oh, no, teaching is very different. But I think teaching and investing are very similar. I mean, I see, people yes. pursue certainty, right? I'm uh, pulling your leg there, but... Yeah. Uh... Yeah, you can't 100% know everything, yeah. No, that's that's awesome. So what I find interesting a lot of the time is, you know, your one, two, three, actually there's a massive learning curve. Did you find the mm. same in your first three properties as well? Like how has that involved, you know, like by the time you do your fourth, because, you know, your portfolio is in a double digit. Right. So yeah. where did you see was the biggest learning curve? Biggest learning curve probably when I was about to purchase my fourth or fifth. I can't remember the exact number now. So you know how when you when you borrow to a point where you just can't what we dodge, you know, this 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 stupid word, this serviceability, this S word. Yeah. Know? When I go to the bank and the bank because I was just happily buying, you know, following the book. The book says ten percent return, right? Ten percent. So I was looking for ten percent. And I did. You know, I was yeah. I was working hard, you know, I got ten percent every time. And mm. until I get my I you know, fifth or fourth or fifth. And then the bank said, you know what? Your serviceability doesn't meet our criteria. I said, what do you mean? Yes. Like, you know, based on my calculation, you know, and I'm a saver, I, I do my own budget. You know, I save like 60% of my income kind of stuff. And the bank said, no, no, that's not how we calculate. And yes. that's when I'm beginning to learn, okay, so, you know, bank look at payments in a different way, completely different to what I think serviceability means. So I spoke to the bank. The bank turns me down and I got really frustrated. And that will also apply to many investors who wanting to do something, but they feel yeah. like they're stuck. And, and I thought, to just um, expand on that because mm. that S word usually comes for people now in their second or even third. Yeah, like yeah. probably their second. Like if they have one investment, they're probably pretty lucky. But if they Blender, didn't really that, learn too yeah. much. Isn't that depending so, on where you live? Because I guess back then I live in Palmerston North. So yeah. you can imagine that like $500,000 can stretch a lot. Whereas in yes. Auckland, you can't even buy one, right? That's right. So, so I guess I'm lucky in that way, you know, it sounds like nice, oh, you got three properties, but I got a three, like, you know, cheap, cheap units or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I guess the other thing that I thought to note as well, because people were like, wow, 10%, I can't get that anymore. But you can, and even you can. In this, you especially can. in this current market yeah. when interest rates you are can. high and exactly. the returns are much higher. Exactly, and exactly. Yeah, 9, 10, 11% is, is achievable. Yes. Um, I would say eight and a half is a lot easier. Nine is a lot easier, mm-hmm. uh, but ten is still achievable, which is which is really awesome. Yeah, and and, and sometimes and back you then, don't need to buy those Auckland or or main city in the right in the beginning because yes. just starting out, the cash flow is going to be more important, and that's sort of what you have fell 
into almost by chance because you lived in Palmerston North instead of Auckland. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I can't remember. Is it Brad Sugar or Kieran Truss? Kieran mm. Truss was one of the guy who wrote the book about property cycles and then oh, Ron yes. Holly Farm and many other uh, property coaches beginning to borrow his idea. Well, when I, when I attended the seminar, that mm. really stuck with me for pretty much all my journey. And he says, um, cash flow is king. Sorry, he says, equity is given. Cash flow is king. Uh, yeah. Meaning that if you buy well, as far as cash flow concerned, the equity will take care of itself. So it's very similar to Grandfather's um, investing philosophy as well. That's right. And I guess one of the um, things that people might get caught up on is like, oh, what if I buy, you know, and it goes down in value? Well, mm. it kind of sucks if you, it goes down in value and you can't sustain the property. Yes, exactly. Now you're like in a double whammy. Should you sell it because you can't afford the payments? But if you buy cash flow property, it's cash flow positive. Even if it went down, you're like, well, it doesn't matter because it's paying for itself. Yes, and that's exactly, a very yeah. important lesson uh, in investment, I do believe. What would you say is an important lesson for beginners? I think what's very beginning is this idea of personal budgeting. I, I think, um, I know it sounds stupid and sort of boring, but if you don't do your own personal, but like your, your spending, if you don't know how much money coming in and how much money going out, that's going to be tricky when it comes to investing. And when I started investing, I think I was maybe stingy or, or silly enough to have a personal budget. I actually have a spreadsheet recording how much money I spent on takeaway, how much money is the power. I think, oh yeah, I started doing this personal budgeting um, after I after I had my own home because I have yeah. a mortgage. Yes. And that, that put me into a much so all of a sudden at least I, I, I become mature, like I become a boring adult. Um and <laughs> I, I don't go to pub anymore because I know like a, a jug of beer is gonna cut me back like forty dollars or something like that, you know. So I start doing yeah. personal budgeting. I know exactly down to dollars how much money I can save per week and how much money goes out. So I think advice for beginners is start from start from within, like you know, rather than thinking about doing all these great things out there, but it's probably start from the inside where you, you you check your, you actually find out how much money you make. Like, cause back then to increase my serviceability, I do all sorts of st- stupid stuff. Like, well, not stupid, but you know, like I, I, I would have homestays. I, I, I would teach, I'll do after school tuition. I'll just do all sorts of stuff to generate extra income on top of my teaching work. So personal budgeting is, is first and foremost. And the second is obviously, I think I mentioned before, is you take advice from people who have been there and done that. Um, Third third thing is probably just read books and meet people um, and join a low property investor investor group. Um, You find that um, rich people are actually quite nice, you know. Um, I remember when I first went to Palmerston North Property Investor Association, you know, um, I put all these sort of investors with like 10, 20 houses like, up there on the pedestal, I, I'm just I'm so scared to talk to them because like, I thought like, yeah, I feel yeah, like, I thought they think differently and act differently. But it turns out they're just lovely, lovely, lovely people. They they love they get joy of of helping people, you know. Mm. Um, and lastly, is is just just have a dream, you know, have a dream that compels you, you know, like what's the point of you doing this? What's the point of you wanting to buy five, ten, twenty, or you know, like a a passive income of hundred thousand dollars, you know, some sort of goal that why is that important to you? That's so good. That's so good. And mistake often hold even more valuable lessons. You probably agree. Perhaps you can yes, yeah. tell us about a specific challenge or like mistake you've encountered in your journey 
that really significantly influence your approach and really help you grow as well? Yeah, this this has been a tough question for me because I, I really can't think of like one massive lesson and then that completely transformed my investing. I think mm-hmm. it's more of a consistent, steady learning. And, and um, when you asked me to think about this question, I thought, man, what did I learn? Like what's what's one valuable lesson? And I'm thinking... Mm-hmm. Look, I've been to Tennessee Tribunal, like in my 18 years of investing, right? Because I didn't even know that I've been investing for 18 years until you asked me to do this podcast. Yeah. Because I, I really, I literally feel that like I was only like 10 years ago I, I started investing. Um, so over those 18 years, I've been to Tennessee Tribunals more than 20 times, less wow. than 50 though. So I'm not proud of it. So it's more, more than 20. I lost about $25,000 at Tennessee Tribunal in two, two yes. occasions. Mm-hmm. I have a investment property uh, completely destroyed by fire um, and I'm still enduring the 18 months of no rent and wow. I have bought leaky apartments. I'm still owning three. Yeah. I have subdivided and built three houses and then and then at the end have to take the master builder to the court. Jeez. I received uh, media- mediation, but then I have to pay him $20,000 just to get the CCC. So your your question about is there one valuable lessons? Not really, but multiple, but consistently. And sometimes I, I question myself. Sometimes I, I say to myself, are you like dumb or something? Are you like a slow learner? And and sometimes I do think that for me, I just have to learn from my own mistakes. It doesn't matter, Blender, you gave me great advice, right? And I know I don't listen to it. Or or my other other, you know, probably coaches, you know, and ask me, tell me to do things that I don't listen. But I think sometimes we just have to have our personal experience so we can learn from that. Yeah. That's really good. And I think maybe the key thing here is just take action. Mm. And saying that, you know, some of the things that you mentioned, and obviously I know you for a few years now, Mm. and I think what I notice is even those, uh, I guess, riskier investment that you make, you know, you're usually risking like a small portion because I remember like, you know, yes, you yeah. said, hey, I bought this leaky apartment and I was like, how much? And I was like, under 100,000. So like, why not? You know, like you could, mm-hmm. you could play around with it a little. And I think, yeah, like that's what I noticed about you, even though you might take higher risk, but maybe in proportion to your stack, which is like in poker, right? Yeah. You never bring your whole stack to the table. You might break it up into like 20 or 30, turn 20, 30 buy-ins. Mm-hmm. At, at any given time, you lose the whole stack in the table, you still have 29 chance, right? And and I think that's sort of the approach you took from what I've witnessed. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite a conservative investor and, and I'm quite risk adverse. And I know it's very hard to believe but if you talk to uh, people who who kind of knows what they're doing and you know wealthy people you know you, you find that they are actually quite they're often control freak and uh, they also they they manage their risk and i remember um you know from time to time i get friends ask me like hey look um how can you sleep at night knowing knowing you owe the bank so much and i asked them i, I said so what are you worrying about and they say well your mortgage like how much do you pay for your interest and blah 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 and i say yeah, well, so first of all, I know how much money goes out, but obviously yeah. this is many years ago because now I, I tend I tend not to care so much because I my cash flow is okay. But a few years ago, I, I was I will I'll be I literally will be looking at my 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 um my spreadsheets twice a day, so I know uh-huh. my numbers. I know like you know how much money goes out, 
And so I said to my friend, well, yeah, I mean, when I first got my own home, yeah, I do I do lose a few nights sleep because I thought about what if I lose my job? You know, I was thinking of stupid things like what if the house got fired and what if I lost my job? What if I, you know, got, you know, just also stuff, you know, imaginary stuff that, that I can come up to about me losing income and losing house, right? Mm-hmm. But the reality is that these kind of things, they don't, they don't happen. And a lot of um, risk can be mitigated. For example, if you're thinking about your mortgage, then, you know, you can set up revolving credits. You know, you got to set up a, or perhaps you want to save enough money that you know that you can cover at least six months, you know, mm-hmm. of, if, if you don't have rent. If you are cons- concerned about house fire, then you got to get your insurance. And and if you are concerned about, I mean, pretty much anything you can think of, I'm pretty sure if you are preventative, you can come up with a, a way to prevent that. And same thing, like, you know, yeah, I did bought a apartment unit with car park for, I think, was it $70,000 mm-hmm. this year? And it's returning three hundred and something dollars. I asked myself, what's the worst case scenario? And can I afford to to not have it? And and if I'm fine with it, then I'll do it kind of thing. So I'm quite conservative in that way. I, I will think of what's the worst case scenario and what can I do about it if, if it actually happens. That's so and good like, because and, yeah, you know what luckily, you just said now? Yeah. That is a, a principle that I, I actually use a lot as well. Mm, mm. Like if I want to try something new, it's like, well, What's the worst get worst exactly. that can happen and can I live yeah. with it? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. So despite your substantial su- success, so Tom, staying updated in the ever-changing property market is quite crucial, right? And yep. how do you sort of keep yourself informed about the latest trends, regulations, and strategies? Like what's your routine and what kind of practice would you recommend? My mindset now, I think I mean. I mean, people grow and people evolve, and I think uh, I, I'm no different to anyone. So, if you ask me this, this question at the beginning of my journey, or in the middle of my journey, or where I am now, I will give you different answers. I would attend every single in- investment seminar, like you know, like a, like a local property investor association, mm. and not only that, pretty much you you name it, any kind of uh, property investment coaching seminar, I've attended all of them. Not sort of purchasing, becoming members. I'm pretty sure that I've attended 99.9% of, of the introduction course. Back then, I was like a seminar junkie. You know, I was really into this ever-changing ever trends. But I think after a while, after you've seen a few, you're beginning to see that, hey, look, um, property investment is actually quite simple. And, and that's what I like about it. That's why I can mm. carry on, you know, as a sort of a high school teacher and then do my investing investing in my spare time. So I'm, I tend to focus more on the fundamentals, you know, the fundamentals about um, buying well, buying the right location. So it's really nothing fancy that I kind of chase, you know. The greatest thing about news is that if it's important, you're going to hear it anyway. You know, mm. you don't have to listen to the radio three times a, a day for the same thing. You know, it's, it's someone, someone's going to tell you, right? Someone's going to tell you, especially for new investors. I think the risk nowadays is really, it's not about lack of information because back then I can only read books, right? I can only yeah. go to library, read books. But nowadays the risk is just over information, right? Like <laughs> you get so much information, you know, and they tell you, oh, go and buy apartments, go and buy new builds. Go and buy, you know, um, house with sections. Go and buy home and income. Go and buy rural. Go and buy city. And then you get confused, right? Because you don't know who you listen to, right? You don't like, and you, you forget to so to look at the fundamentals. The fundamentals are, are you doing your own personal budgeting? Do you know how much money you are making? Do you know, like, have you talked to your mortgage broker to find out how much you can, to get pre-approval, right? That's the first step, right? If you don't have pre-approval, this is just all 
nothing, right? Yeah. So I think this idea of taking action is is probably the key. Do whatever you, you can, just just take action towards buying your very first, you know, either unoccupied or, or investment property. Because until you get one yourself, you won't get it. I don't yeah. think. Yeah. I got two follow-up questions to sure. that. So the first one is I'm interested to know how much you have invested in education throughout. Oh. Like, have you had a count on that? Like roughly? Like, because yeah, roughly, obviously, yeah. Yeah. like you're a self-motivated learner, it sounds like, but you also say, hey, I want to learn from somebody who's done it. Mm. How much of it was paid? So remember I told you that I was a seminar junkie and that was like uh, probably 15 years ago or 18 years yeah. ago when I started because I was just so hungry because, you know, mm. when you are when you are hungry and you are young, as a beginning investor, you think you don't know, you know, uh, everything, which is true, right? But then, mm -hmm. after a while, you know, probably probably investment is getting kind of boring, if if that makes sense. And you can probably relate to that because this just so there's really just so many ways, right? You can't. It's difficult for you to invent a new way of of yeah. uh, investing and 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 grow. Um, I probably have invested over a hundred, probably close to a hundred thousand or just over. When I first got stuck on borrowing money, and that was after my fourth or fifth, I talked to a banker, and the bank told me some ridiculous number. Says, "Oh, you know, your you you need to increase your teaching income by this much." And I thought, "Oh, what the hell? Like, I'm not gonna become a school principal or something, you know, like overnight. That's not possible. And I'm not gonna, you know, have more homestays because you know who's gonna look after them, you know? <laughs> uh, and I'm not gonna do more sort of yeah. after school tuition because I don't have so much money. And then." I got frustrated and I went to a local investor association and I met these two very successful property traders. Mm. So I said, hey, look, um, I see you guys have these signs, you know, they have these signs called We Buy Houses. I'm not sure you've ever seen in Auckland a, a long time ago. We yeah. Buy Houses, these ugly signs, you know, in corners. I've definitely seen. They specialize in private sale, private buyer. Yeah. Um, so I asked them, hey, like, how do you get your money? Like, how does that work? And they say, oh, no, don't, don't ask us, like, we know these two ladies in Wellington. They run seminars on that. As soon as they said, said that, I signed up. And I think it's a three-day course. And back then, that cost me $5,000. Mm. And after I'd done the $5,000 course, and you know what happens, right? After the $5,000 course, there's a $10,000 course. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I mean, I, got, I gained so much value from the, the two ladies because one one lady was a, um, uh, she was a, uh, specialized in, in rent-to-own, lease option. Right, and yeah, also she yeah. back then you can do this thing called double settlement, um, and you can do um, oh you can property, still do it, property assignment and stuff. You know, legally, like nowadays, I thought you have to be a quote unquote like an agent to <laughs> to assign property. You know, so anyway, I, I went and and I signed up and and I made my money um, back um, fairly quickly. And but then there was a time maybe got bored, and I because you know after you've done a few deals, you, you think, oh yeah, so their teaching really works and it it does work. And but I wonder if there's even faster way of getting there, like if there's an even faster way, like even quicker way. And I got distracted, and I saw I started attending other seminars, and then not putting into practice, and I kind of become a seminar junkie, right? Like you spend three thousand, but then you, you do nothing, right? Yeah. And then I think I was after a while, I promised myself that until I practice this thing, I learned and made my money back 
I'm not going to attend another se- another seminar. And, and so the- that kind of served me well. I think you know about this anyway. This year, I spent $20,000. And this is the first time ever I spent so much. And I hire a property coach. And if you ask me, is it worth it? I, I tell you, yeah, it's 100% worth it. I'm pretty sure I made my money back. Yeah. Because you just need to buy one deal. Exactly. Yeah. Just one and you deal. get five, five to 10x return. So yeah, yeah. It just makes so yeah. much sense. But even if we just average out your total spending over 18 years, is like, mm. you know, we're talking about like five grand a year, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you, you have to invest in yourself. And that's you the, have to. Yeah. Yeah. I think Brett Sugar says important. it well. I think it was a Brett Sugar or someone else. He, he says that your business or your personal wealth cannot grow beyond your personal growth. We all gonna make um make the money based upon our personal limitation. If you think hundred thousand dollars is is enough, then you're gonna make a hundred thousand dollars. If you think it's one billion dollars enough, you're gonna make one billion dollars. I think uh, it's yeah. true that you know our wealth is really built on our personal growth. If we can think big and do big things, then it's definitely worth on investing. In your and but I think nowadays I I'm more investing not just for me but I'm thinking like why am I still doing this right and and I often yeah. think especially for listeners who have families who have children and of I think this idea that we are modeling we are modeling success you know we are modeling financial literacy we are modeling hard work you know uh, resilience I think that's quite valuable you know. Um, rather than just sit back and do nothing and because your kids is going to think oh you know that's what my dad does he does nothing you just gave me a really cool idea that i might need to just take half a day and and uh, meditate on it if i can pay other people a billion dollars then i'll make a billion dollars that idea there is quite interesting so Mm. that means i should be snowballing my education fund and be like, okay, I need two to one ratio. If I spend 50,000, I need a hundred. I turn a hundred to 200. Who's Mm. the next person can I pay? That's going to help me make the next slot. Yeah. I need to flesh that thought out a little bit, but Mm. interesting. The other question I had that was following uh, on this is, you know, in this high interest rate environments and, you know, property prices are coming down. Like if you had to start again, how would you approach your property strategy right now? When you say I have to start again, do I do I lose all my network and, and knowledge or do I still have it or how does that oh, work? Well, okay, you keep all your knowledge. You keep all your knowledge. <laughs> and let's just say you start off with 300K equity. That's it. That's a lot, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's like, let's say you still have an unoccupied. That's but a you lot. Have all yeah. your knowledge and then you're like, yes. all you have is 300K equity in it. What yeah. would you do? The first thing I'll do, I'll find an extremely knowledgeable and responsive mortgage broker because um, you can only buy properties okay. if you if you can find the money. Blendon didn't pay me to say this, but but he's he's really knowledgeable and he's responsive, probably one of the best in the country. And to be honest, I wouldn't be here today without, without you sort of becoming my money engineer, right? I mean... Right. And the other person I need to thank is John Bolton. Um, John Bolton started Squirrel. Um, I, I met him when he started the company um, many years ago. Um, and be, before before John Bolton and before meeting you, um, again, very similar to many other investors, I approach bank. Bank tells me no. In, in fact, the ironic thing is that I remember when I approach um uh, before I put John Bolton, I, I asked I asked BNZ for the money, right? And BNZ, BNZ turned me down. And after I proposed John Bolton, who is a mortgage broker, uh, he got a loan from ANZ. And I think same thing for you, Blendon. I think I, I asked BNZ for something and then didn't work. And then you somehow did your magic. And then I was able to get a massive revolving credit. And so I think 
I don't want to set um I don't want to set any expectation for anyone out there. Like, yeah, I know, but but no, this is no, and seriously, this well. is, I think this is the missing link. You see, I mean, people talk about oh, you know, like what's the first thing? I think the first thing for any beginning investor to do is you know after you've done your budgeting right, like you know your numbers, go and find a, a really really good mortgage broker because a good mortgage broker and and, and a shitty banker. Man, it's 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 it just it's it's worlds apart, right? You, mm. you know, you could. What's the difference between borrowing a hundred thousand and and five hundred thousand dollars, right? And a good broker can find you the money because without with investing, right? If you if, if you don't have money, like all this is just dream talk, right? It just doesn't mm. make sense. And I and, and yeah, I so am like, a big fan of also trying to te- tweak your strategy so that it's easier for later. Yes, um, yes. You know, like yeah. sometimes we can push really, really hard. And then what happens is to unwind, it's a lot harder as well. Like what I mean by that is like, you know, if you max out your borrowing by chance with one bank, you you know, you'll feel really good about it. You're like, yeah, like Mm. this one bank gave me this lending. Mm. And now I'm like, you know, you're stuck with one bank. Offer you the same. So it's like, well, what options do you have to grow? Yes. You don't have much. So it's like, well, actually maybe we should take a couple of step back yeah. And adjust our strategy so that, you know, maybe we'll slow down a little bit, but then we give mm. ourselves like more steps out. Yes. That's, yes. That's something that I, I truly believe in and, as and, I grew as a mortgage yeah, broker. Yeah. Yeah. And and that and exactly that what you're saying it's exactly what I'm trying to say is, you know, like you want to find a broker who has a, a much more long-term and holistic view. You know, I, I have I come across a broker who just help me cross the line, you know, like one doing one deal and then I get stuck. And, mm. you know, you want brokers like someone like you who can look at long-term and and this idea that um, even help you analyze, right? You know, if, if you are buying some shitty deal, you think, yeah, sure, you're buying this deal, that's going to give you 20% discount, but but you can't buy any more, you know, is that still worth it? Or is this, is this you know, what you want to do? And, you know, a, a clever broker, you know, an experienced broker is going to tell you that, right? Um, and the whole idea, and I, I totally agree with what you said, you know, you want to be able to buy houses in a way that your first one is going to help you buy the second one. Your second mm-hmm. one is going to help you buy the third one and and, 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 and so on and so forth. Um, rather than me kind of going, you know, what, I'll just buy one and then buy two and then I get stuck and I'll just wait for a few years and I'll just, you know... <laughs> Like there's yeah. no pl- no planning involved, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's important, and I guess like just personal experience as well. Like I, I guess when I first started, first couple of years, there's a mm-hmm. hack with you know the blue and the yellow bank, and what happens is you can if you went to your own bank, you won't get the lending, but yes. if you had lending at other banks and you went to those banks, basically yes. the way they looked at the servicing was whatever you're paying, that's how much your um, servicing is so then what that actually means is you mm. can borrow like so much more because you've got lending somewhere else and you go to that bank and you can borrow a lot more mm. and i was so proud of that like i was showing everybody that yes and what i learned is like even though i helped those clients buy that next property like yes. they can't do much more yes and even like in 2020 2021 mm. like some clients like i i always try to advise against you know just maxing out unless you're like absolutely sure this is like the dream home or the or the home that you feel like you're not gonna you're not needing to do much more afterwards 
mm-hmm. really want to max out. And you know, a couple of clients was like, like they're like, man, just give me the solution. And we 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 did right. Me and Z, like we're we're solutions mm-hmm. people. If you really need it, we we get it for you. And yes. what's happened since then? Like like I feel so bad as well, right? And it's like we've done all we can. And a couple yes. of these clients are just stuck because they're with a second tier bank maxed out, can't refinance to the main bank. Prices have dropped, mm-hmm. and that's the that's the risk you have to think about. And and you know, I guess for us, it's like we're just trying to foresee the potential risk in the future for for yes. clients. Sometimes, yeah. Um, and and you see, some sometimes I still I scratch my head so hard because you know like. What you're saying here is is just pure gold, right? And you still get people who are, I'm not sure if it's cynical or skeptical and asking questions on Facebook about, oh, you know, why why should I get a broker? Why can't why can't I go directly to the bank? You know, like yeah, it's, it just doesn't make sense, you know, like um, and and this kind of um also this is another thing I want to share with listeners, especially if you are beginning, is that um, if you want to go big, you gotta somehow learn to trust people mm. especially professionals um and of course th- this this for me i i have to learn after probably i had about six or seven properties you know like um because the, by nature i'm a control freak like i'm not joking I, although i've been investing for 18 years um i think for the first 12 years it's just tough yeah, 12 years or no, sorry, yeah, 10 or 12 years, I was managing property all by myself. Mm. Right. And and you can imagine how busy I was. And I'm so appreciative of my family. I, I think it's a miracle that I'm not divorced. Because um after after school hours, I'll be just doing like property management stuff. And that's why I've been to, you know, property uh sorry, tenancy tribunal so many times, you see. Um, because I, I was having trouble letting it go, um, and having trouble trusting people. And and man, it's such a freedom when you beginning to actually trust people and and knowing that hey, look, professionals know what they're doing, and just be more appreciative of of what what they're saying, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning to read people and 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 trusting people, I think, is one of the biggest key, uh, especially for beginners. Yeah, mm, that's good. And I guess knowing who to trust is also yeah. a really important yeah. lesson to yeah. I guess learn. Yeah, uh, but that does take time, and yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, to me, it's quite simple, right? It's very similar to my first golden rule: is that you only listen to people who's been there and done that. You yeah. know, so for example, if Blender, I'm starting out, I'll say, look, um, hey, Blender, I'll go straight, man. I'll go, hey, you know, if you don't mind me asking, how many properties have you got? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And then, so and then, if this that. person says, you know, like, <laughs> like nothing, then yeah, I'll listen to you, but I'm not sure I'll be like hearing. I'll hear, I'll hear you, but I'm not sure I'll be listening to you, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, no, yeah. definitely, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I got one more question for you, because sure. despite your substantial success, I told the audience earlier, I had the privilege to watch you still learn and implement new strategies. Maybe you can share with us one of your most recent discovery or, or strategy that now you're incorporating in, in, in terms of um, investing. Um, it's not much of a recent discovery, but it's more of a final realization that, um, you know, I just got to find ways to increase my revolving facility, I think, because in this idea, cash is king. 
So, you know, I think wherever in your investing stage, if you can do whatever you can do to increase your revolving facility, you know, I think that it's definitely a worthwhile exercise. I have met a few investor friends, like, first of all, they don't even know what revolving facility is. Um, and second, they don't know how to get to that because um, especially if you want to buy a good deal, when you have to put down a deposit very quickly, your revolving yeah. facility is going to help you a lot. But then again, that probably goes against you know some broker's professional knowledge because I know that revolving facility is considered as a debt. Um, mm. But again, I'm, you're asking me, so I'm I'm sort of <laughs> sharing my thinking as far as the investor concern, right? So yeah. if you can get your revolving facility up as as much as you can, then that's that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is um, take advantage of the the unitary plan. Yeah, um, and uh, I learned this not from myself but from my property coach, and uh, because of him, I, I bought a property uh, in Ranui. Uh, this this house has got a section of about seven hundred eighty square meter, and mm. and that that can allow seven seven lots subdivision, and mm. I bought it for um, eight hundred seventy five thousand. Jeez, and and th- I bought it uh, sort of uh, in January this year. Um, yeah. So I know, given a couple of years, you know, I'm hundred percent sure that. That section is going to double for sure. But the house is currently rented for 630 per week to social housing. So as far as sort of these uh, criteria, about 10% and cash flow, you know, it's that's that's a, that's irrelevant. You know, this is a kind of a, hmm. like what I say, I'm evolving. So I'm kind of doing investing in a kind of a, I'm not looking for cash flow anymore. And I know you told me many times that I should. So that's that's what I'm trying to do. Take advantage of the unitary plan. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, uh, perfectly fine i mean i do believe in you want like a golden opportunity in your mix of portfolio you don't always just have to have one type of property you know when i share with my clients as well it's like hey my portfolio is not just built on cash flow it's like i've got a land bank and then Mm. i attach like two blocks of units and then i know Mm. those three properties together it's like i've got really really good capital gains Mm. in Mm. main city plus i've got the cash flow they're they're still capital gains property like the cash flow ones because they're on big sections yeah then it's a a lot more sustainable right yes yes yeah so that's really important that's really good good sharing tom Mm. so your journey from a hundred thousand dollar 150 i say uh, investment to becoming a twelve million dollar portfolio is is crazy and it's um, truly inspiring. I just want to say that your commitment to continuous learning is just commendable, and I have no doubt your insights today to our listeners, whether they're beginners or seasoned investor, they will have some valuable takeaways and actionable advice. We can all learn from your experience, apply it in our own journey. And so I just want to thank you, Tom. Um, thank you for taking the time to join us on the Leverage Attic podcast and sharing your wisdom with us. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you found this conversation insightful, I only ask for one thing because, you know, this is free. And so we just want more people out there getting good value. So if you could just do one thing, found value, share it with one person that would find this Uh, useful and then they can relate to the story and try uh, find something that they could implement so until next time keep leveraging and keep learning thank you tom